they find stories everywhere. And what I mean by that is they can take the simplest things and turn them into powerful and effective stories to teach key principles. So here's a story about how somebody changed the world. Now I want you to go change the world. It can be just a simple day-to-day change that can lead to a change in behavior that you really want. Welcome to Create New Futures, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Avi Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders and entrepreneurs to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Mark Carpenter. Mark is a serial storyteller and the author of Master Storytelling, How to Turn Your Experiences into Stories that Teach, Lead, and Inspire. We want to explore with Mark the power of stories, the meaning for children and for adults, and the centrality in the life we live and the endeavors we embark on. Mark, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Aviv. It's my pleasure. Let me dive right in by asking you first, of all the things you do, what do you enjoy most about writing and telling stories? I think mostly for me, it's the connections that it makes. And it's allowing other people to make those kinds of connections. I think that in my intro there, it talked about me being a serial storyteller. I think that's why, is because that's the way I always connected with people. And I love helping people, particularly business leaders, see how they can connect better to their people through storytelling. And not just storytelling of like creating fables or things, but stories that are actual real experiences, the most powerful ones being from their own lives and seeing how they can really make a connection with people by telling these powerful stories that teach, lead, sell, and inspire. So why do you believe stories are so powerful is a question you may have already answered because it makes this connection. But what else would you say about what is it that is so powerful about stories and why do we love stories? What is it about the brain? What is it about the human experience? Why is it that stories are so central for us humans? And you just hit on a couple of things there, Aviv. We kind of intuitively know that stories connect us. We know it from childhood because of the stories we hear, the stories that we fall in love with. But there's also some great science behind it, too, about what it does to connect us with other people. There was research done by Uri Hassan at Yale University where he talked about hey, tracking the brain activity of a storyteller and a story listener through functional MRI. And he found that as the storyteller started telling the story, the listener brain function was just behind the storyteller until about halfway through the story. And then the listener's brain started catching up. And so they found that their brains actually started getting in sync by telling and listening to the same story. So there's synchronicity that comes with that, with hearing stories. And it's about connecting people to people. Some of the other brain science talks about how hearing a story and hearing particularly about an experience that somebody has that you can relate to increases the listener's oxytocin, which is a trust chemical. And then they feel more trusting of the person they heard that story from. 
So think about that from a leadership standpoint. If you want the people who are following you to trust you more, one of the ways is to build that trust is by using storytelling as a tool to teach important principles. I wonder how much of that, and I don't know if there is a research in a way to trace it, but I wonder how much of that can be traced to our ancestors who used to sit around the fire and tell stories with each other. They didn't read the internet at the time that the internet was actually the experience of being around the fireplace. I think you're right on. And I don't know that there's a lot of research that can show that definitively, but I think intuitively that makes a lot of sense. You think about how long we've had written language versus how long we've had spoken language. Spoken language became much longer before written language came in. And so again, how did we pass on important information? We did it through stories. There wasn't any way to put up a sign that says, stay out of this plant, it will make you itch. It had to be the stories from the other people that said, when you see a plant that looks like that, don't go there. It's going to give you this rash. So the storytelling, I think, started very early on as a way to convey important information for us to live effectively as a community. And what you already offer there about the MRI research, I wonder what is the biology of storytelling, the brain science of storytelling, and what is it about the stories we tell that enable the other person receiving the story to imagine and create that actuality, that story, 3D in their brains, in an imagination that's free of the storyteller. You tell me a story, I imagine it in my head through my set of references and experiences. I don't imagine it in your head. I imagine it inside my head through my experience. That's why I imagine it is so powerful. Yeah. And I think we love stories because we live stories. I mean, what is your life other than a a series of stories kind of linked together? And that common experience of other people living stories will connect us really well. So I may tell you an experience where I had where I had a disagreement with a coworker. Well, you don't know that coworker. You weren't there for that disagreement with a coworker. But like you said, you've had experiences where you may have had a disagreement with a coworker. So you can relate that connects to you because of the common experiences that we have as human beings. When and how did you discover consciously your passion for stories? Because I imagine all children are interested in stories. But for you, when did you say there is more here for me? Yeah, I think that there's a transition time there. And there was more to your question about when I was like more conscious about it. It was when I transitioned from working in marketing to working in facilitation. So I worked in marketing for a long time. Yeah, we did some storytelling there, but a lot of it was facts and figures. And I look back and I wish I could change some of the things that I did in the past. But when I got into facilitating learning with adults, I found that relating concepts, particularly complex concepts in the form of a story was very powerful. And it was fairly natural for me. And because it was natural for me, I thought it was just something that everybody does. And it was an interesting conversation I had with my wife at one point where I was thinking about writing a book. And I said, I don't know what book to write. She says, oh, I know. You have to write a book about how you take these everyday experiences and turn them into teaching points. And my first reaction was, that's not a book. Everybody knows how to do that. And she said, no, they don't. That's not natural for a lot of people. And so as I got more into it, I realized I was doing things somewhat by accident. And so it really helped me as I did that research to see how I could be more deliberate about the way I told stories so that it would have the, the greatest impact. Well, so we want to reverse engineer a bit of some of your discoveries about storytelling and about how to tell powerful stories. But even before that, still at a high level, two questions. What don't we get about stories? And what must we understand more deeply about the power and how to use stories in everyday life? 
Oh, great questions. If I don't remember the second question, you come back to it, make sure that I get that in there. But the first one, the thing that we don't understand about stories is we don't understand their power, particularly in business. I think a lot of times business leaders look at storytelling and think, eh, it's too soft. I need to be just a leader. I need to lead. I need to just give information, give direction. And that's not the world we live in anymore, particularly from a leadership standpoint. I witnessed this. I was working for a small software company. We had a transition in CEOs and the new CEO had come in really to kind of get the financial house in order, and which was needed at the time. But he decided that the thing that he needed to share with all the employees of this company were all the financial information. Now think about who's working at this software company. The majority of people are software engineers. And so when he stands up and starts running through all the financials, what's happening with those software engineers? They're checking out because they can't see how it relates to them. They can't see the connection to their day-to-day life. So we must tell stories that connect us to the people we are trying to communicate, to connect with. And we should never think that stories are merely about communicating thoughts or ideas or even concepts. The whole point of a story is to convey an emotive meaning, a feeling, an energy that envelops the data points such that possibly they unlock and unleash um, kinetic energy, action. Yes. Thank you for getting to action because that was the one word that I was waiting to hear from you is that that's what you want to be able to drive toward is to get that to drive action. There's some interesting research that's cited in the book Influencer where they took three groups of people and shared with them basically the same information. But one group, they just verbally gave them the information. So it was really just a data dump. The second group, they shared the information. They also put it in in charts and graphs. And the third group, they told it in the form of a story. And they included the information, the data in there, but it was told in the form of a story. And they anticipated that third group would remember the information better. And what they found is the first two groups remembered about the same information and about the same level of accuracy. But the third group that heard it in the form of a story not only remembered more of it, they remembered it more accurately. And the third thing that was really telling was that they found the information more credible. And the reason, again, they found the information more credible and remembered it more because what was the difference? They were told the information in the form of a story. In the form of a story. Yeah. Okay. So... Again, we're going to dig in a minute to how can I learn quickly to tell a story. Before that, what are the three biggest mistakes that people make when they endeavor to tell a story? Yeah, I think that ties to the question we were just talking about as well. First is they make an assumption that they just need to tell an experience. They just need to to just put it out there. And that's not true. That's what I mentioned earlier about being deliberate about the way we tell a story. The second is I think that they lose track. Yeah, go ahead. And when you say be deliberate, I need to decide and be intentional about what is the point of the story and what do I want the people receiving the story to understand the meaning and the call to action or the rallying cry that the story proposes. Exactly, Aviv. Right on. And that is the problem, is that they aren't clear maybe on what am I trying to drive from this? What is the point that I'm trying to make? And so they just share an experience and they hope that the people get the point. Well, we may get a feeling by sharing an experience, but if it has no point, then we are, it's like pressing on the gas without being in gear. We're not going anywhere. Right. There is, there is no kinetic energy. Right. And we'll feel good. It'll still feel good because those stories still create that connection, but it's not going to lead you to any results that you want. Yeah. No coherent. And, and if you're being more intentional, that's what you're going to lead to. You're going to lead to actually getting results. And the other, what are the other two mistakes? 
So the second one, I would think ties to that first one. And that is they either do what I call, they don't land the plane, which means they tell their story and they just keep going and going and going. And they want to tell every single detail of the story and they don't get to that point soon enough. And so it loses their audience. Or because maybe they're not clear on what the point is they're trying to make, they brush over important details. And again, it loses its impact. So having the right balance or the right structure to the story is critically important. And we can talk about that here in in just a little bit as well. Well, so you just set up there the part of the practice of storytelling. So let's take it um, a step by step. Suppose that I have an important occasion next week and I'm meeting with my team. Let's make it more authentic because it will make it even more powerful. Suppose I have a client that meeting with their team because I, I am in this wonderful world where I help other people with their teams rather than needing to worry about my team. And he's going to, or she, they're going to meet with their teams for two days to devise strategy. And there is an idea that somehow the beginning of the two days workshop needs to begin with some kind of a story that will pull us all together. So what is now the advice? What is now the coaching? What is now the process? The first question I would ask is, what's the problem you're trying to overcome? You're going to talk about strategy, but what's getting in the way of getting good strategy defined? We seem to have many priorities and everything is important. And it's important that we are able to prioritize the near term and also build an organization that will truly be prepared to win, not just in the near term, but in what I call horizon three, that is in the three to five year horizon. Got it. So then my next question would be, can you give me an example of a time when someone did that effectively? Or can you give me a time that you identified a problem that came because somebody didn't do that effectively? Right. So either a good example or a bad example. Either one works. And once there is the example, either based on an experience, I mean, the one thing about this is that the limitation is we frame the future by retracing the past, positive or negative. But that's not necessarily a bad starting point. But suppose we have the incident. So how do I not craft it? as useful way into a story. Excellent. So there's really three main chunks that you want in your story. Now, there's a lot of people who teach storytelling and they'll teach eight steps or the 17 steps of a narrative arc or all these different things. We've really consolidated it down to three main areas. The first one is the introduction. That's the current state. So let's say that I'm going to give an example of where not thinking, not prioritizing well near-term and thinking uh, critically long-term created some problems. So I might set up the current state of things are going along well. Everything seems to be fine. But this person saying, I don't need to really prioritize. I'll just take things as they come to me. There's current state. This is the relatability part. This is where people can say, oh yeah, I've been in that situation before. I've been there. Or maybe I just know a person that thinks that way. So the purpose of the introduction is to create relatability, to create connection. Because I'm not going to go with you on a journey to wherever you're going to take me if I first didn't find a way to include myself in the story. Precisely. Right on, Aviv. So that's where it's going to create that connection. That's where the listener gets an increase of oxytocin in their brain because they can relate to what's going on. Now, to continue on to your point, but you're not going to stay with me in that story if everything just continues along in that happy state. So the next phase is there needs to be some kind of conflict. There needs to be some kind of problem with what's currently going on. 
with us trying to achieve our goals. So we need to set up in that example and then thinking that way led to this problem. And so it created maybe this problem with a client or it created this kind of division within the company. Okay. So there's the second phase. It's the conflict. This is going to keep your interest because now you're trying to find out, oh no, what's going to happen. I've been in that regular state before. How can I keep myself out of that bad state that they're talking about? It's interesting from the brain science of the neurological dimension is the introduction needs to regulate me. The conflict needs to arouse me and alert me. So I'm now interested. What's the third part? Okay. So the third part Mm. is the change. What's going to change? What happens to get out of that conflict stage that's going to resolve the future? Now, if you've got an example where it created problems and the problems weren't resolved, well, you're going to leave people a little bit in a stress mode of, oh no, but then you want to have the discussion, what could have been different to make a positive change when that conflict came? That kind of thought process is actually really good because it leads people to start acting in that way to avoid those problems for themselves. Now, if it's a positive example where you can say the person shifted the way that they thought, they shifted the way they prioritized, and as a result, they overcame this problem, that's going to give people a sense of relief there at the end to say, oh, I can do that too. And so that next neurological stage is the sense of satisfaction of something being different. Now, again, in the bad example situation, it leaves them thinking, oh, I can get around that by making this change that that person in the story didn't do. And so it still leads to that sense of satisfaction, but also drives that change that you want from people. What is the test that the story achieved its objective and the produced the effect we wanted it to produce? Put simply, I would say behavior change, that it actually changes some behavior that you want to be changed. And that to me is the ultimate test. Quick example, I worked with an organization who, it was a financial services organization, and they had a lot of silos within the organization. They agreed to the top level goals, but nobody really knew what the other divisions were doing to reach those goals. So there were gaps that were left open. There was overlap in work. And we taught them this skill. We taught them to share their stories of how they're accomplishing the organization's goals. And they started seeing the connections between what my division is doing versus what another person's division is doing. And they started from that point forward to start meetings by saying, let me tell you a story of where we stand right now. Mm -hmm. And they would use that to set the tone for people to focus on the right areas of the goal in the meetings that they were having. So you're describing a practice where the storytelling is not something we do on special occasions, but it's something we integrate into the way we process information Correct. on a, day, on a day-to-day basis. And I think there's great power in that. Now, can it be overdone? Yeah, I think so. I think it yeah. could be overdone. Yeah, but- sometimes if we spend too much in narrative creating and we may lose the urgency for action too. So, but And I think that's true with most skills. But anything that's overdone, it's going to lose its impact. What is it that we know? What is it that you have observed with great storytellers? They find stories everywhere. And what I mean by that is they can take the simplest things and turn them into powerful and effective stories to teach key principles. 
So here's a story about how somebody changed the world. Now I want you to go change the world. It can be just a simple day-to-day change that can lead to a change in behavior that you really want. And what is it that enables them to turn every day experience into powerful stories? What is it about their practice that enables them to do so? I think it's two things. The first one is just noticing. It's noticing those things when they happen. And the encouragement that I always give to people is you're going to notice things by the emotional reaction that you have to it. If something happens that you have an emotional reaction to it, take note of that situation and just start thinking about, okay, what's the lesson that we learned from that? So the first step is even just noticing when those experiences come to you in your life so that you can, at some point, turn them into a story. And then the second thing is what we talked about earlier, which is being deliberate about turning it into a story crafted in the right way with that point to make. And so the two things, notice the experiences that can become stories and then intentionally craft them to be used in the right situations. So the way I reverse engineer these two points to notice, I need to have foundational curiosity, not just curiosity in one dimension, but in a two-dimensional, at least two-dimensional, if not three-dimensional curiosity. I'm curious to the everything that's happening around me, and I'm curious to my interior experience. As you said, yep. if I'm to pay attention, why do I feel anxious in this situation? Why do I feel relaxed and settled and well and energized in these situations? And by reverse engineering these somatic cues, I can then decipher the latent story. So that's the reverse engineering of that. The reverse engineering of the other, you said, I have to be deliberate and intentional. Well, that to me speaks about living with purpose, small purpose or big purpose at whatever level or scale. But showing up every day, living intentionally with purpose will give me the momentous energy to convert would otherwise be mundane experiences into meaningful stories. Yes, right on. I love the way you described that. And I think you're spot on with that. And I'd even put in a very simple way. It's really about caring enough. Hmm. It's about caring enough to see that this could make a connection for me and then believing, yes, that can make a connection for other people too. I sometimes tell a story when I'm trying to get leaders to just give simple appreciation. I tell an experience that I had when one of my sons was nine years old or eight years old. He was in second grade, however old that is. And we got some very positive feedback about him at a parent-teacher conference. And I went home and I shared it with him because I thought this is a specific action I want to encourage. And I just said, thank you for helping other students when you're done with assignments. Your teacher said that you were great at that and that's really helpful in the class. And I just wanted to let you know, I appreciate that. And that's all I said to him. He walked over to me, put his arms around me and said, I love you too, dad. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is that I never said, I love you. What I said is I appreciate you. Now think about that experience and expand that to the workforce. No, you don't have to want to have your employees say, I love you all the time, but you want them to know that they are validated as people. And so if you can give simple, specific appreciation, what's the message it sends to them? It sends Mm -hmm. the message that you care. Now that's a simple little experience in my life, but it's a powerful reminder of an important leadership principle of appreciating what people do on a day-to-day basis. The practice in the way you are relaying the story with your son was you initially grounded it 
in a behaviorally observed language that the teacher shared with you exactly what he was doing. And then you converted the appreciated behavior into I appreciate you. So there was, which he translated and internalized as you're telling me that you love me, which is powerful, the equation of appreciation and love, especially when we think about the significance of the word appreciation in its dual meaning. It's we appreciate a quality or something you do. And, and also as a result of that, we grow. So we hopefully the investments you make appreciate in value. And in a similar way, when we appreciate each other, we appreciate, we grow the bond and the value to each other. Powerful. Yeah. And, and I love can, that connection to the dual meaning of the word appreciation there. That's awesome. And he can go and tell his story from that experience which I'm sure in, in his way would be authentic for him. Yeah. Why is it that most people are not so very effective? I mean, you already answered that, but I'll, I'll ask a different question, then we'll come back to that. How do we adults listen? Dif- do we listen differently to stories than children? And if yes, how or no, it's about discovering that we love as adults stories as we did when we were young. I actually think that it's very, very similar to the same reasons that we love stories when we were children. We love stories because they have relatable characters. They have somebody that we can either relate to or aspire to. There are some stories that you'll watch or movies that you'll watch where you go, wow, I could never be that character, but I wish I could be. I wish I could be that general leading a team into battle. But so we have that aspirational or relatableness with the character. So it's about the characters. And it's about accomplishing goals. And it may not be the goals that I have in a day-to-day life that I'm seeing in the story or in the movie, but I can relate to that feeling of, I want to accomplish something and I have challenges that I run into with that. There's something that gets in the way. There's that conflict that I mentioned earlier that gets in the way of that goal. And then when there's some resolution to that conflict, I feel good about it, even as a passive listener. That's the same with children as it is with adults. The interesting thing is, and you may have experienced this, if you've ever watched a movie that you finished and you went, I didn't like that. Has that ever happened to you? Too many times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, way too many times, right? I'll bet you could go back and either find the characters weren't relatable, they didn't have a clear enough goal. Or there was no real conflict in the story. Those are the things that if one or, or any combination of those are lacking, you're not going to be able to relate to the story. It's not going to hold you because it's missing some of those key elements. The character must be relatable. I must connect and either see myself in the character or see somebody I know in the character. Number or or see someone you aspire to be. Or see somebody I'm aspiring to be. He needs to have, he or she, they need to have a goal. Why is that so critical? If there's no goal, it's just drifting along. There is no movement. There is no direction. There's nowhere to go. My wife and I recently watched a movie that had really well-known, highly respected actors in it. We watched it. And at the end, I turned to her and I said, where did this go? (laughs) This didn't go anywhere. There was no conflict. It just kind of drifted along. And so it was a really boring movie. All right. So I am unearthing something else that is probably the alchemic results of the goal and the conflict. In some way, what you're sharing, Mark, is we want to be transformed in some way through the story. We want to make a journey from point A to point B. And along the journey, we want to experience some kind of transformation, a change of feeling, a change of 
mood, a change of inner state, a change of objective conditions. Some change must be experienced or else we wasted our time. Right on. And that's why when I talked about those three chunks, those three sections of the story, it's introduction, conflict, and change. What's the change at the end? What's transformed there that's going to drive me through it, that's going to pull me along? So what do you do when you're coaching a leader and they say, I don't know, I don't have any conflict. There is no conflict that I can tell a story about. How do you address that? Well, and it doesn't have to be major conflict. It's not like we have to have people blowing up, yelling at each other. But conflict can be a small thing, just some disruption along the way. But for example, sometimes I tell a story to illustrate the point about how our own thoughts get in the way of our emotional state more than what's happening around us. And I talk about driving to the airport on a Sunday afternoon, very little traffic. I found myself going a little fast at times. And suddenly I see a police car behind me. Their lights aren't on, but the police car's behind me. What do I immediately start to think? Yeah. They're going to pull me over, right? Totally. Now, now think about that. There's a relatability in that. Anybody who drives knows that you get that feeling when you got a police car behind you. I'm not going to bother telling you the whole story, but as it goes on, I just started building up in my mind how this was going to happen, how it was going to keep me from getting to the airport on time, how it was going to keep me from having a good day. And I built it up and I built it up and I built it up. And it turns out the policeman went off on a different exit than I went on. And he wasn't coming to give me a ticket anyway. So what's the conflict in that story? It's really just a conflict that I'm building in my own mind, but it creates enough connection and suspense in the story that it's worthwhile and it fits that structure. Well, in this example, you're instantiating that the stories we make up in our minds sometimes are the, the most obvious stumbling blocks to our own success and, and our own accomplishment. Exactly. And again, that's not a huge, big conflict. There was no accident where people were going to die or anything, but it creates enough of a conflict in that story that people can connect to it, remember it, and learn from it. Okay. so. Suppose I listened so far and I said, this sounds right and it makes sense. I want to become a better storyteller. I want to integrate it into my leadership approach and philosophy. What is it that I ought to do as a daily or weekly practice to build this muscle? What are some tips? My first tip is start capturing experiences that could be stories. And these could be your own experiences. They could be other people's experiences. You can borrow from other people, particularly as a beginning place. There's a story I use very often that I get from a book that was written by Dave Ramsey, and it's an experience that he had within his organization. It fits a principle that I'm trying to teach very often. And so I use that story because it's better than any of the experiences that I have. So you can borrow stories. So I hear two ways we can come into this. Stuff happens. We have experience. We can look at the experience. We can reverse engineer the experience and choose to develop the appreciative uh, message of the story, the coded meaning of the story. That's one way to build stories. Another way is to say, now, I want to find a story for this specific message, for this principle. I want to teach this principle. I want to teach this practice. I want to teach this point of view. And I'm going to go hunting for a story for that. And you're saying we can work from both ends, from the intention back to the story, or from the experience into the story making. Are these yeah. both credible in the same way? 
Yes, absolutely. I love that approach. And the practice, you know, this back to your original question was what practice do I encourage people to start? And that is just capturing those things. When something happens that I have an emotional reaction to, capture it. I may not know what story or what lesson I'm going to teach from that, but just capture it. And then your other points right on. If you have a specific point, a specific principle that you're trying to teach, start looking for experiences, either your own or somebody else's that teach that point that you're trying to make. As you start looking for them, they will come up. I can't tell you how often I've seen that happen. So my experience says that after capturing the stories, if that is step one, either by writing or by speaking to a little a recording device or what have you, you need to have step two, three, and four. You, you, there has to be some refinement of the story and the message. And you may suggest some other steps there. And then I have to actually practice the story in the context and the intention or else I never really, it's like when I learn a new word in the dictionary, I want to use this word or else I'll forget it. Same with the story. So what's your coaching there? Suppose I'm really interested to become an effective storyteller and you're saying step one, begin to capture stories, pay attention to what's happening to you, notice and capture these stories. What is the, What are the next steps if you were to build the storyteller practice. Yeah, step two, you mentioned, craft it. Get it into that intentional story form so that you're not just like rambling on about every detail of the experience, but you're really getting to the point that you're trying to make. And then the third step is practice it. And you can practice it in a variety of forms. You mentioned a recording device. Pull out your phone, push the record button on the, on the voice memo, record it, listen back to it. You will find things just by coaching yourself on it that says, ooh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound right. Or that's a confusing point. How can I make that more clear? Now, the other problem is we know what we mean when we say things. So I think it's always helpful to get another person's perspective in there too. So tell them the story. And you can even tell them up front. This is my audience. This is my intended purpose of this. So they have the framing of that. But if you tell it to them, one of the first questions you want to ask at the end is, what point did you think I was trying to make? And see if they got the point. See if the point comes across. And the second question I encourage people to ask is, what did you like about the story? Mm -hmm. Don't get into what was wrong with it, but get into what did you like about the story is the first thing. Now, if they aren't clear on the point, you might want to probe deeper and say, okay, what pulled you away from the point that I was trying to make? Because those are the key things that you want in there. When people are starting out with storytelling as a new skill, I always encourage them to just start with those two questions. Mm -hmm. What did you feel like the point was and what did you like? Yeah. Because I don't want people to get all this feedback of this was bad and this was bad and this was bad and this was bad. And then they get discouraged and say, I can't use this skill. And they miss an opportunity. So the three steps, again, capture the story. Pay attention. Notice what's happening. Capture the story. Capture it in a way that, that's traceable. Step two, craft the story. Refine, highlight the key elements of the story and leave out the lesser in importance data points. And step three, practice it. And find a way to practice it first with yourself and then with safe audience that will give you useful and productive feedback, and then rinse and repeat and refine your craft. Yeah. And one of the best practices is actually using them in real life too. And I'm not saying to jump there is the first place to practice. Practice, get some feedback, 
But the best feedback you're going to get is from a live audience. And I've stood up and I told stories that I practiced well, that I'd gotten feedback on that were good. I looked in the eyes of the audience and I saw blank stares. And that's the most important feedback that I could possibly get. Because then I can step back and say, all right, what did I miss for this audience? And how can I change that the next time? Stepping a little bit outside of the corporate professional context of storytelling and taking permission to become a little philosophical. What are the crucible stories we must be developing at this time when we look at uh, the human condition, when we think about humanity at large and what this important human experiment on planet Earth that for all intents and purposes we know, at least at the moment, is the only one we are aware of. There may be somewhere else in the universe another, likely there is another experiment, but this is the only one we are aware of and we seem to be rapidly evolving in our self-destructive capacities. And so I'm thinking about the leaders that have the capability to inspire and they want to do, through, to do so through stories. What are the crucible stories that we ought to tell and create and share with others? Yeah, Naviv, you've used the word crucible stories. I've heard a lot of other people refer to these as keystone stories. These are, what are those kind of key moments that you need to have a story on. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the first one is the origin story. How did I get to where I am today? How did I get to believe that this principle is so important? So maybe even going back to one that we talked about earlier, how did I get to a point that I saw simple, specific appreciation as a really important leadership skill? How did I get there in the first place? There's also a change story. In other words, what happened in my evolution that I maybe changed my view on something, I changed my opinion on something that led to a significant growth point for me. What's that change story? And then the other one that I, that I would think of is the connection story. What's the point that shows that we are all connected together? I'm not alone in this world. This is all about all of us working together. And I think we all have stories that show how, that, how, us, how we connecting to other people makes a significant difference. And to your point, I think in today's world, that's one of the most important stories we can share. So the three stories were, the last one was the connection story, the change story. What was the first one? Origin story. Origin story. Yeah. What started me on this path in the first place? Now, th there are other people that will give you different keystone stories. And I know there's some that there's lists of like 12 keystone stories that you've got to have. But to me, there's some very basic ones. And it's going to vary by people. It's going to vary by, vary by position. But you do want to get those. What are those key stories that really identify who I am, what I want my leadership to be, and how I want us to work together as a team? I imagine an important subset of change stories are the renewal and recovery stories. What was it that we've experienced that enabled us to feel broken and rediscover ourselves and, and rebuild and heal ourselves. These are important stories we need to find and tell, stories of renewal and new beginnings. I totally agree. I agree that's a subset of the change story because the change stories are going to constantly change <laughs> as we evolve, as we grow, as we move into different positions or different roles and responsibilities in life. And so that is part of that ongoing change story and the ongoing evolution that we have individually within our lives, in our work. Well, Mark, this has been rich, productive, focusing guidance into the importance of stories. Some of the mistakes people make, 
when they tell stories and practically how can you go about building a practice of storytelling integrated to your life and your leadership. Any other last messages you want to leave as we proceed into our life and hope to become effective storytellers? Well, first, Aviv, I'd just like to say I've loved your additions to this conversation too. And as you've taken the things that I'm sharing and you just put a little bit different spin on them, I think that's just been very insightful and will help a lot of your listeners as well. The only other thing that I would say is if this is a new skill for you, if this is a new experience to tell stories, just try it. Like any new skill, you need to just take that first step, get some guidance, get some direction, keep working on it. It's not, I have the skill of storytelling or I don't have it. This is something that can be developed. And so that's the last thing I would leave people with is just continue to develop this as a skill. We call this show Create New Futures, which for some people feels strange. How do you mean new future? Is it not the case that every future is new? The answer is no. A lot of futures are repetition of old futures that happened in the past. And so the thought to live with you today is that to create a new future, we want to begin with creating a new story. It's the beginning of a new conversation and a new story that can unlock the potential of a new future. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Aviv. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.